Hi, Catalina. Hi, how are you doing? I'm good, you? I'm doing all right. That's nice to hear. So, uh, Catalina, I told the listeners about your, um, about, you know, your, um, I guess, what you've done throughout your old college uh, academic career and stuff like that. But why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so um, I'm a junior computer science major uh, specializing in human computer interaction at New Mexico State University currently. Um, and my journey in computer science has been tumultuous, but adventurous. Um, I first started com doing computing in fifth grade when I used a makey makey to turn a banana into a piano. And then from there, I just was so fascinated about all the applications that CS has. And so in every aspect of what I was doing, CS had a place. Whether I wanted to make my own fashion and light up dress with LEDs or anything like that, like computer science was there. And so it was, it's always just been a journey to kind of find computer science and to find my place within that. No, that that's actually pretty nice. It's actually better than my story, how I got into CS. Uh, my dad's desktop had a bunch of viruses and I remember, and my mom was like asking me, do you know how to get rid of this? And I was like, no. And this was like at a time where I was thinking about just becoming a theater arts major because I just liked acting and theater and stuff like that. But um, I remember that my high school had us like a cybersecurity uh, club. So I decided to went in and, and, you know, I just wanted to ask like, you know, how do you get rid of these viruses and stuff? And I started learning a bunch of stuff about cybersecurity and I got kind of hooked in and the one thing led to another and then uh, I'm majoring in CS. But uh, I kind of switched from cybersecurity because at the time when I got into my university, they didn't offer that as a major or like a, I guess, courses in that. So I decided to right. look for other options and I kind of landed on software engineering because I like problem solving and such and also teamwork, but yeah. <laughs> I will say my introduction to computer science has been very privileged mm. um, because I was introduced so young and because of the way I grew up. Um, my parents didn't have a lot of money. And so in third grade, like they required us to, my parents told us like, you have to do something, but we're not going to pay for it. <laughs> and so they made me as a third grader um, look stuff up online. So I would be online looking through Google, just kind of searching for free opportunities in my area as a third grader because I was like, I'm bored <laughs> and I don't want to clean the house. So that's that, that comes from a lot of privilege of having that family structure to be able to do that in the first place. And that's a skill that I learned very young and has been very paramount to my success currently. So your story is actually more typical of people in computer science, of their discovery, but it's also a beautiful story in and of itself because I don't think I can do anything with viruses. 
No, I think actually, to be honest, in that story, I don't know if I actually, no, actually, no, I did not figure out a way to get rid of the viruses. I just, cause like my dad didn't use that desk up at all, but like, I was like, I learned all that information. Like, I think I learned something called nuke, duke, boot, something like that, where it completely eviscerates everything inside the computer. Like you do a huge wipe. But oh, I, it's like, like a reset. Yeah, like a huge reset of everything. But I was like asking him, like, you know, is there anything important? He's like, I don't know. And honestly, I kind of got a little frustrated when I try to see if there's anything very important. But to this day, I'm just the tech support to him, like sending an email or scanning a document. And that's the same goes to my mom. So I don't know if you have that in uh, uh, if you have that same position as being like tech support for your family. I mean, yes and no. It's interesting because my family is very different. We're all, we've all been trained in some way in computer science Mm -hmm. um, because we've had the same similar opportunities that were free. (laughs) Um, So we all kind of know, but in our extended family, if anyone has trouble, they usually come to us (laughs) first before they go to like, best by geek squad you know or something else and it's it's very different doing it than computer science too and so it's it's also interesting that the perception of our family's definition of what we do versus like what we actually do so it it kind of leads to to fun but also kind of like a really good ego check of like I don't know how to work a printer (laughs) yeah I mean like let's say you get a job at Google and you tell your you tell your family like I'm a software engineer at Google and it's like oh do you do the thing with the search bar or something or like they ask you some kind of IT question about why this thing isn't searching up or like let's say you work for Amazon and they say what happened to my package and it's like I, I don't, I'm not responsible for that. I mean, that's not what exactly what I do, but I, I kind of see what you mean by that. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Yeah. It, it's always interesting though. Yeah. It's a good time. So Catalina, the reason why I brought you here for uh, today's episode is because we're talking about, um, you know, women in STEM. You know, this episode is in, in dedication to International Women's Month which uh, actually uh, at the time of this recording happened two days ago. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so I just wanted to start off with a question about, you know, you being a, uh, a woman in STEM. Uh, how do you feel that being a female student, especially in STEM, has been easy? Or uh, do you think it's been easy or relatively easy or relatively fair in this point in time? Like, let's say in the year 2021 in April, as opposed to, let's say, 10 years, 20, even 50 years ago for other uh, uh, female students in STEM? Right. I think it's, it's certainly come a long way from even when I started college. So I started taking my first college classes when I was 14. Mm. Um, and so I'm on year six of school and I'm so ready to graduate. But being in at the same college for this amount of time, I've seen tremendous change even within my institution. 
where in the beginning I was kind of the only woman really in any of my classes it was just it was just me and so now I'm starting to see like two other girls in my classes three other girls and these are like higher level courses 400 level almost to a degree <laughs> courses and so I, I think it's changed a lot and I think the perspective of women in the department has also changed so there's this dichotomy that's specific to my institution, New Mexico State University, where there is outreach specifically to women called Young Women in Computing. And I actually got introduced in fifth grade from a program that they did. Um, and it's often that opportunity is only shared within that circle. So if you're not in that club, you often don't know about that opportunity. And I was fortunate enough to be in the in crowd in the club. Whereas there were other women in my department who didn't have the same access to that club, um, who didn't get that opportunity. Um, and that was starting in 2014. And now in, the, in 2021, I'm seeing this change of how clubs are run and equitable access to information, uh, not just in clubs, uh, especially for when we're targeting women, right? Because we don't want to, there's so few of us <laughs> that you don't wanna cut off anyone who's seeking to be interested. Um, and so that's something that I feel like has changed and has been beneficial. But I also believe that we still have a long way to go because I still get the comments of, oh, you're just a woman. Oh, you're only here because of X, Y, C. And it's like, that I feel like that's a little bit hurtful because it invalidates the hard work that I've done. Um, and it being in computer science isn't easy. Like I've had multiple times where my health has declined such that I couldn't remember the day before. And so I was going to office hours when they would kick me out of office hours. I would go to the university uh, health tutoring center and then once they would kick me out of the university tutoring center at 8 p.m., I would repeat the process over and over and over again. And so I feel like when people say those things, it invalidates the very hard work that I am doing and that women often have to take that extra step to do. Um, so I don't know, I'm really excited for the future. I think that we are creating meaningful change. It's just taking more time than I would like. <laughs> but if we were to increase the speed, it wouldn't be meaningful and it wouldn't be equitable. It would be, I, I forget the word, but it would be performative, mm -hmm. right? 
and it wouldn't actually be changing anything. It would just be putting a Band-Aid on the problem. So it, it, it's been hard, but it's also been interesting because you see it from a different, you see computer science from a different perspective, I believe. Yeah, I mean, uh, I do have some like the, like the current computer science courses I take, uh, currently taking right now this semester. I do have a good, there's a good ratio between male and female students. And um, I don't know, I just like feel like uh, we're just pretty much diverse. We just help each other out. But you know, like oh, it's always like, I always get my guess because I feel like there's another perspective out there that I cannot just like limit to just my university, you know? That's why I just try to look beyond and such. Yeah. But just hearing, yeah, I'm just hearing from what you've said. It's very interesting is also how that's still going on. I mean, yeah, maybe there might be one or two. It's not like it's going to be gone forever, just discriminating, um, you know, women in STEM or, or, or women of color in STEM, you know, but like just to see that as still, you know, a reason to bring someone down just because, I don't know, maybe they were just jealous. I'm assuming that's always the point because they're jealous because you're able to obtain and understand the information more than them or so. Or so. It's, it's certainly partially that. And I'm very glad that you bring up that your institution, it's very gender parity. Like it has a really good gender parity because that's where I want us to go in the future at my institution as well. And we're starting to see more of that um, through uh, the National Center of Women in Informational Technology. They do a yearly kind of work up about like who is in computer science and they kind of break it out by how many women and then how many people of color. Um, and we've seen increases of actually like a percentage for Hispanics, Hispanic women. And so I find that kind of interesting and really good to hear. Cause sometimes when you're in an institution that isn't that, sometimes it, it just, I don't know, it's a little sad. <laughs> it brings you down a little bit, but you gotta fight for your education. Yeah, definitely. No matter, no matter who you are, you've gotta fight for your education. You've gotta fight for opportunity because it's your life and you have to advocate for yourself. And you need to get the very best to support yourself. And that's something that isn't really being taught to women, especially. Um, there's this cultural association of kind of not advocating on being like oh well I'm shy oh I'm whatever and you see it suffering like having their education suffer for themselves not advocating which you see men doing at, at higher rates um, than women. And so that's also, I feel like a huge barrier that we need to somehow figure out how to do, because that's very much in our social interactions that it's built upon. And it can't, you can't just explicitly say like, oh, hey, cat, you need to advocate for yourself. <laughs> like that, that's not going to work. That's not, you can tell me all kinds of things that I should do, but 
if you tell me there's going to be a resistance because I'm going to be like well why are you telling me this like why do I need to do this like why can't you just do it <laughs> there's that that resistance and so we need to figure out changes to the way that we're teaching to create the role of education more on the student through active learning than on the teacher through passive learning, such as like lectures, which I have a huge issue with. But that's, that, that's another rant for another time. Yeah, I mean, I know what you mean. Uh, I have a software engineering class that I'm taking this semester. Got excited, but then when the professor started doing his lecture, it kind of got a bit monotone or just a little boring. So every now and then I just read the textbook while he's doing the lecture. But I, just, I mean, I just do that instead. But yeah, I get what you mean. Uh, that's a good point. Uh, I kind of do, I'm more of a hands-on kind of learner, you know, just uh, rather than just watch. I actually like to do it, I guess it's like muscle memory or something like that. But yeah, I'm 100% with you all the way on that. But um, uh, Kalina, when you mentioned, um, uh, you know, you're being discouraged or something like, uh, just like, you know, based on your gender or just uh, being a minority and stuff. Uh, my, my question is, or actually my next question to follow up with that, you, uh, did you ever experience in your whole like journey in STEM of any kind of situation where you were purposely discouraged from doing anything related to STEM. So for an example, um, let's say you wanted to join the math club, but uh, a teacher or somebody from the school was like, well, there's like a lot of boys there, or it's like, it's mostly for boys. Or, you know, let's say you're taking a biology test and for some reason the professor's like, well, guys usually do better on this type of test were you ever discouraged with these kinds of cues that just like mm -hmm. i guess in, invoke the stereotypes of women in stem feeling that well i'm not good for this because of you know it just comes down to my gender rather than my knowledge on the subject at hand did you ever feel any kind of discouragement at all oh completely yeah. um it hasn't been so much explicit as of late um, but it's very much been different in treatment towards me versus my peers, that it's really kind of been evident. Uh, oftentimes when I have a question, it doesn't really get answered first. They like look towards other people. Um, when there's opportunities, they don't necessarily come my way. I kind of have to advocate and be like, hey, I think I would be a really good fit for this. These are my qualifications. Um, and that's just because I, I'm, I advocate for myself and I know, or I'm learning to know my worth because uh, that's a continual process as your worth changes. Um, and I would say exponentially grows. <laughs> But there's been like one instance where they told me that I should, that I was like in the wrong class and that I shouldn't be there. And I was like, no, I, this is computer science, right? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, 
I'm in the right class. I'm Catalina. <laughs> Hi, I am your student. <laughs> and so it's just been kind of interesting. There's also been an issue with a professor before where me and another female went to office hours at separate times. And the professor was like, oh, go look it up on Stack Overflow. And Stack Overflow is a place where people ask a lot of computer science questions and they get answered through like a forum. Uh, and it was kind of insulting to for him to assume that I hadn't already kind of struggled through the problem already before coming to him. I've done my due diligence. I've looked at Stack Overflow. I asked my peers and I was still struggling. And so he was kind of like a last resort to go to. And it, it wasn't really said to my male peers. He kind of just helped. And so that was kind of really infuriating, I would say. <laughs> a lot of the times when things make me sad, I use them as fuel to be like, okay, well, if this is wrong, let me, let me change this so that no other person has to go through this. And he wasn't really a great teacher either <laughs> for that class. There were like 40 or so people in his class in the end, there were three. Yeah, two of which were grad students. <laughs> and there was one undergrad, all male, by the way, who stayed in his class. And so together as students, we kind of rallied and we kind of complained about this professor because that isn't right. If there's an entire class dropping out from this professor, there's something wrong in the way that he's teaching us and supporting us. And I can proudly say that we uh, prevented him from gaining tenure. Ooh. Because teaching is a huge part in academia, right? And student success is paramount uh, for our institutions. And so the power of students kind of unionizing is super important because we can change how our education is being taught and being done for our own benefit. And so that was like one of the more explicit times that I was kind of discouraged, but it kind of more infuriated me than anything else. <laughs> And I was like, this, this isn't right. I, I don't want other people to go through this. So it's, it's more been implicit than explicit because I am a very, I advocate for myself. And that's kind of scary for people, especially if they want to like say it to my face <laughs> because they know that I, I take action when I believe something is unfair, when I believe something that isn't just and when I believe something is discriminatory uh, against Title IX <laughs> mm. um, for our higher learning institutions, my education should not be diminished because of my gender. 
And I have the law to back me up on that. And that's kind of scary for people who want to intimidate me because I know my rights and my laws. So yeah, it's, it's more implicit and it's, I see it more done to my other female colleagues explicitly than me. Um, and so that's why I'm continually kind of adding fuel to the fire mm. because that's, it's, I don't believe it to be right. Uh, wow. I mean, uh, didn't ex uh, I didn't expect that at all, but um, I'm glad that you stood up for yourself. I'm glad that everybody else stood up against the professor. You shouldn't like just take it as it is. Like that's the reality. You should change the reality and send, and also how you were able to just have that information such as title nine. I mean, information is powerful. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I agree with you. Um, that I've never had anything like that personally, especially with a professor. I mean, we did rally against one professor, but we did come into an understanding in the end. But um, I mean, just, um, yeah, I understand like, um, just seeing that it's just, I don't know, it's just like, I know that like, I guess what I'm trying to say is, um, you know, when you see a professor do stuff like that, it feels like, you know, well, if you fail, the professor fails because they just fail at teaching you what they know, basically. It just feels right. like that, that's like, it's a, I guess a two-way uh, streak, you know? Well, and it, it, it has to do with how higher education is built anyways. Yeah. Um, professors, you only have to have a master's degree in the field to be able to be a professor. Um, and teaching is a very different skill. It's a very different degree entirely. Um, so it's paramount that we kind of educate our professors on how to teach uh, because those are two separate things. If I'm a senior software engineer, right, I know all the jargon and the lingo and I'm gonna be talking way up here when my students are down here. Mm. And I'm gesturing at, as like the professors being higher than and then the students being lower than. Um, and we need to mitigate that gap. And that comes with how you teach and how you create your curriculum, which is kind of hard. <laughs> I mean, yeah, um, I think I read an article about, what was it, when, you know, uh, college classes were transitioned to virtual because of the pandemic. And they were all, or actually not college classes, but classes in general, were all transferred online and they had to do essentially just online work that just requires you to like, I guess, multiple choice based assignments or anything online rather than something that's, I guess, hands on a bit more open response is what I'm looking for. Yeah. Um, yeah, because it just really diminishes just some. Um, I guess the learning capacity, because you could just like, let's say for multiple choice, the, you have a one in four chance to getting the answer right. But there's also the downside of if you want to do something that's open, open response type assignments, it takes more time to grade those things because it's exactly it's, it's, it's based on the professor's criteria of what counts as, you know, if this is this, this aligns to what's what the question they're asking to the students and if the student answers it right based on what they've written as opposed to let's say this this question that just has like four answer choices and all you know is that 
the, the right answer is B because you it's said to that. Right. But yeah, I mean, I remember um, in the GMIS conference in October, you mentioned about the teaching styles, something about the 1950s or something like it just like we still reuse the same way as it was in the 50s. I don't remember exactly what you said. I, I just remember fragments of it, but is it, would you say it's like that right now? Yeah, so we have to kind of understand where education comes from to be able to understand where it is currently. Hmm. Um, education was not meant for everyone when it was originally created. It was created for the elite to become more elite. And so uh, it, there were small schools. It was very much lecture and, te and textbook based. And it's becoming more and more so. Um, the U.S. spends more per student than almost anyone else in the world, but it goes towards testing, standardized testing, and textbooks, and maintaining the structures that have been in place from those elite workers, right, mm. uh, who were in college in the first place. But as we widen it to more students, and to more people of color um, who are previously forbidden by segregation uh, to go to these schools, we see more systemic issues, but we also that need to be addressed in how we learn and the time it takes to do assignments. But something that's also interesting on the flip side that kind of has to do with how we learn in and of itself. Lectures and textbooks are actually not the best way to learn things. Um, new research has shown it's kind of through small groups and then coming back together as a big group and kind of having discussions where there is more agency on the individual to learn than through a passive kind of learning style. My favorite being the flipped classroom style. So you read and do all the lecture stuff outside of class. So it's kind of self-guided. And then in class, you're in groups, you're working, you're asking questions, you're problem solving, and you're interacting, which is really beneficial because once again, you're taking agency for your own education. You're able to ask questions, not in front of the whole class, but in front of a small group of your peers that you're working with, um, you gain more friends that way too, which is how you survive a computer science degree. Oh yeah. <laughs> Definitely. And you just are able to be more successful and find your voice and your agency and your education. And that's, that's super important. That that's actually pretty good. I mean, I'm gonna probably take your word for, you know, maybe just uh maybe go to my um because I have some several group me group chats for some classes. I might just ask them, you know, it like to do a study session before like a midterm or something. Cause I feel like I, I remember one time, actually now that I remember, uh, it's a couple semesters ago, I did that with some people where I just randomly just asked them in the chat, hey you guys want to do a group uh, like a study session before the test and it was the date it was the night before the test so the test was in the morning the next morning 
so we did do it and honestly it actually helped a lot it was better than what i was like looking through my textbook or uh, powerpoint slides or any notes that i've written we just all talked to each other like you know what was going to be on the test what each of us knew or like what knowledge we had from each type of let's say section of what was going to be on the midterm or exam um yeah i mean i'm 100 with you all the way again with just collaboration i like sense of community especially yeah um you know with the cs classes I've, i try to make friends there and because i know that i'm going to see them again for other classes so i'm going to might as well just like buddy up but yeah yeah but i mean I, i actually that was a very interesting point of view just like how i guess the way education is being taught to us it's been nearly like i guess half or more than half a century or so just still like this rather than just change it and maybe there is some that have changed it but a lot of people don't have access to that or just don't have that privilege because that's been more i don't know i guess more costly in a sense right financially or time-wise but um kalina i want to ask about well i actually want to ask about let's go beyond school let's say so my next question is going to start with a scenario into the future into your future actually Let's say <laughs> oh, you're nervous. Don't worry. It's it's a it's a kind of good kind of so so scenario. It's nothing too bad. But let's say there's a scenario where you're working at your dream job, whatever that might be, and things are going good there. You know, you have like good coworkers. You know, the schedule, pay, etc. But there's one day you find out that you were a diversity hire, and that could mean several things. Whether you're a female in STEM, a person of color, or any other thing else. If you were to experience this type of situation, how would you deal with it? I would be kind of conflicted, to be honest. I would be like, okay, is this just about my the portion of myself that is diverse? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I would be like, you bet I am. <laughs> you bet I'm diverse. You bet I come from the, the barrio and I'm, I'm here now. So I think it's important for us to have diversity. And that, that could mean a lot of things. Like in New Mexico, uh, where I live, we're predominantly Hispanic. So what diversity means to us is a lot of people who are not Hispanic uh, in this area. And we, we need some of that, to be honest, to gain some perspective. So it's not just this idea of like white being the majority and then everyone else being the minority, that's the diversity. Excuse me for a second. Yeah. <coughs> Bless you. Thank you. And so I'd be really excited. But it, I, I want to see more people like me. And it's not going to... I'm so sorry. One second. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, I'm so sorry. I needed water. <laughs> That's cool. Um... I'm not going to see people like me 
with the structures that we currently have in place mm. for how we hire people. And it's not because there aren't people who aren't qualified. It's because a lot of times people who are diverse don't know how to play the game. There are rules to the game and they're not really said outside of the elite circles that are typically have access to them, right? In order for us to succeed in our education in a lot of places like New York, where you have to apply to go to a middle school, where you have to apply to go to quality schools for high school and whatever, there's a game you play. And for that game, it's based off of test taking, right? So if you know how to take a test and you know how to succeed in those structures, you're gonna have access to more opportunities. And that's, that's the name of the game. And for people of color, we don't automatically have access or people telling us how to play the game. So it's, it's basically like if I were playing Candyland and I didn't know the rules. Mm-hmm right? Obviously, I'm going to do worse. Yeah. Right? I might figure some of it out by how other people are playing. But if I'm not surrounded by people who also know the game, it's no no one's going to win because we don't know how to play the game. And that's, I think, the biggest thing that diversity hires are, are looking for is kind of that the talent that already exists. There is talent in our communities that exist, but that's not how it's shown because we don't know how to play the game for the structures that they hire based upon. And so, I don't know how to phrase this, (laughs) but I feel like it's important because our value just isn't in tests. It's not just in GPA, which are static uh, quantitative metrics. We need to be looking for more qualitative metrics, right? I can say numbers all day long of like, how many people succeeded from my programs? How many, but, it's, it's the quality that's really impactful and really changes uh, the programs and the children that I have in my programs that I run. Um, so I would say I'm kind of proud to be a diversity hire because we're starting to recognize that there is something wrong with the system that is currently in place and I don't want to just see myself. So I am a very light-skinned Latina. And oftentimes when I get these awards or I'm in these areas, I don't see people of color. I see light-skinned Latinas. Mm-hmm. I see a lot of people with more privileged than what I see in my local area. And I, I don't want 
it just to be me, the light-skinned Latina in these areas. Because I can see the success and the potential of the first-gen immigrants that are here. So Las Cruces, New Mexico is within 100 miles of the southern border of the U.S. to Mexico. So Border Patrol is very much here. And we have a lot of undocumented immigrants here as well that sometimes have to live their lives here because there's a checkpoint um, within 100 miles of the border. So going towards Alamogordo from Las Cruces. And so there's a lot of opportunity and potential that's, that's unseen. And I feel like diversity hires are rectifying that, but there needs to be substantial equitable change in the structure for it to mean anything. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I always contemplate the question of like, you know, being a diversity hire as well. I mean, I am also light skinned as well, but I don't feel like I'm a part of my community, you know, because I'm like, I, I know I live in Houston, Texas, but I wasn't born here. I was born in Atlanta, Georgia, where most of my friends were either white or black. I didn't have any Hispanic friends at all until I moved here. So it was a very cultural change for me. But even so, I always feel like I'm the minority in with, I guess, even people who are, let's say, white or people who are Hispanic. You know, I just feel like I'm a minority in both of those things. But... I mean, yeah, I, I always try, like, um, like let's say, for, for example, when I'm looking for officers, like, I, I am a president of a student organization here. When I'm looking for officers, I try to look for people who, who um, the way they express themselves for a position, if they fit for it, you know, like what you said, quali qualitative, right? Right. Yeah, I try to look for that in people. I don't look for something to make a checkbox for anything, you know, get an LGBTQA plus member or a person of color, you know, like checking those boxes just cause to make my, to make me seem feel like I'm, I guess, in tune with the ever-changing world of, I guess, the 21st century, I guess. That's what I'm trying to say. Right. But, um, but yeah, I always wonder how, if you ever like abruptly learn that you're just a diversity hire, that they were just, they just needed to, because let's say, let's say um, the company you work for was embroiled in a scandal where, you know, they always turn off uh, people of color or people of, of a certain marginalized community and they just picked you just to save face, you know? Like back then when I remember this one time I learned, you know, when you Google, um, what's it, the word party, you see stock images of people and like in a party face, right? but they were people who were either white or Asian. And that's only because the people who worked at Google were those types of people. And they were the ones that filled in the, I guess the images of being the top search of that type of work, you know? So that's the, well, what it felt like, yeah. I, I disagree with that. Really? I, I don't believe that that was explicitly the issue. Um, when you're talking about creating systems like Google search, um, a lot of that is automated. And a lot of it is machine learning. And so we're seeing a lot of bias 
in machine learning, like the Snapchat issue, mm. uh, where filters are uh, whitening people of color, uh, right? Or not able to recognize a black person's face. Oh yeah. Um, and that's just because of the data we feed these these programs, right? If our data and itself is biased, we're going to have a biased outcome, right? And so the problem isn't the, I would say explicitly the people at the company, but more stepping back in a reflection of our society, right? Because a lot of the data that they have that they use is the world over, mm. right? It's basically how they train their, their text models is you give it a copy of the entire internet. And then that's how you create predictive text, right? It's a lot more complicated, but in simplistic terms. And so it's training off of all the data we give it. And the data is inherently biased because we are biased in our everyday. The pictures I like on Instagram are biased. I didn't have any people of color, to be honest, in my Instagram till I went to a program called Tech Exchange where it was all people of color. And I was kind of shocked because I was like, am I really this biased? And so it was, it was something that I, kind of had to look at for myself and to start creating that change, not for the purpose of, oh, I'm gonna follow this person because they are a person of color, but oh, I'm gonna follow this person because I like what they do and they just happen to be a person of color. And it, it takes more of you searching to find that. Pretty interesting. I didn't, uh, yeah, I didn't think about that, honestly. I watched, uh, was it a video on YouTube based on that? But um, yeah, I, I understand what you mean. Um, I guess, I guess in, in, in the world we live in is very digital, you know, the internet is kind of like a, a, a digital book in a sense of everything, of everyone, just all recorded. And I guess, to your point, uh, it is bias towards uh as to a certain degree in that book per se but yeah um I'm, I'm glad that i have this point of view i didn't think like well machine learning but uh yeah, yeah. It's, it's a huge thing there was a uh scandal at google recently about how they train their ai and their top ethicist actually sounded the alarm that hey like something's wrong like our th these are biased and they fired her <laughs> Oof. they fired her there was huge and she's like top in her field in the entire world about this topic hmm. they fired her there was they rehired her and but then she quit because like why are you gonna they they took control of the project from her well. because she was sounding the alarm and so like this is a huge issue more as we move into automation and technology is kind of seeing that line of ethics and of morals and of pr 
principle of what we will tolerate and what we won't. Mm. Um, because this is uncharted territory. There isn't a script written for this. There aren't laws written for this, right? And so how do we regulate or unregulate the internet to benefit or add a detriment for some versus others to create a more equitable format? Yeah. I mean, just from what you said, uh, it kind of have gave me an episode idea just about, um, let's say, like, you working, you deciding where you want to work at, let's say, for me, I want to work at a good tech company like Amazon or Google, but, like, you know, you think about what they've done in the past, like, the types of scandals or, let's say, um, I remember this one story about Microsoft had their, um, what was it, it was, like, virtual reality headset or AR headset, that uh, the people who were making it were just using it for like entertainment purposes or maybe also for something in the medical field. But Microsoft wanted it to sell it to the, the Department of Defense. The people who behind the um, design said no because they didn't want it to be used for like weapons of mass destruction. So I, from what you said right there, it could be a very interesting I, like topic to talk about. Like someone like us, people who are trying, you know, applying to jobs at certain companies and you're like wondering, does it matter where I work in the ethical sense? So like even like, let's say Facebook with the Cambridge Analytics uh, scandal, do you want to work for Facebook? Even though it's a, it's um, let's say it's a well-renowned tech company, but it has a flawed past. So it would be interesting to see what future STEM students would see it as if that would be the first priority rather than let's say um, location wise, pay wise, um you know benefit wise and so and so it, it, it certainly is an interesting topic but i think the thing that we have to focus on most is to create effective change hmm. um in our capitalistic society we the people hold the most power through consumer purchases and through our time on products right so if we we, we saw this with the great boycotts uh, with Cesar Chavez, right? The industry suffered and changed and allowed for unions to help farm workers and different stuff like that because we have the purchasing power to tell them no. So companies will bend to your will. We have that power. It's just if we choose to collectively use it. Mm -hmm. That's true. I mean, yeah, I mean, with an, like, I guess another example I would think about is when people, I guess, force Nike and other uh, sponsors of the Washington Redskins or now the Washington team to just change the name of the team. I see that as a, a good example of that. But also, I'm just like interested if, you know, if any student who's like studying computer science and is thinking about, oh, thinking about just applying to some place that may have a flawed pass or or maybe a, uh, or a scandal brewing in the near future like will they still stay there for ethical reason like like you know being part of whatever type of scandal or like issue they cause towards the world and such you know right real quick i i know we're recording but my computer's about to say can i charge it real quick yeah, let me pause it. So we just took a brief pause for Catalina to charge her laptop, but I mean, 
<laughs> oh gosh, I, I messed up. But uh, yeah, so we're back. Um, so Catalina, I did want to ask you a, another question after the interesting yeah. take you had for machine learning and also, you know, this the systemic uh, s- a system, sorry, of the way we uh, quantitate people. But um, one thing I do want to ask is when, let's say for back to when we talk about diversity hire, you know, like just learning about, you know, if of what, Oh, sorry. Sorry about that. No, sorry. Sorry about that, guys. I uh, had an interruption from my Alexa. But um, what I'm trying to ask, uh, Kalina, is that um, throughout your journey in STEM, as a woman in STEM, uh, what some advice would you give to younger female STEM students, you know, such as like a, a, a college freshman or let's say back when you were young, was it five years old, right, that you... Um, you know, got into STEM or just like wanting or like, or at least have a peak of interest in STEM? Like, what would you give to those types of age groups of advice is what I'm asking. It, it's paramount that in whatever you do, you advocate for yourself. So first and foremost, you need to advocate for yourself and always ask why something is happening. Mm because the structures that are in place we don't often know why or how or like some of the five questions that we initially ask who what when where why how um if that's (laughs) seared into your brain from first grade um and so it would be like to really advocate for yourself but also to begin to understand you and your limits of what you can handle Computer science and STEM isn't easy. It's very time consuming and it's very much a love-hate relationship with your code for computer science specifically. Like you give it everything, you code it, you make it pretty with comments and then your code just doesn't give anything back. It's a terrible relationship. Um, And so you have to start understanding your, your emotional limits. Uh, emotional, mental, physical, because if you are not healthy, everything else is going to suffer. And so just kind of knowing those limits for you personally, and whether your situation may change, your limits may change. And so acknowledging that, but also asking, so there's, there's three things. <laughs> I know I'm kind of going back and forth. So the first one is to advocate for yourself. The second one is to know your limits. And the third is to put your ego aside. And that's gonna be the hardest continual battle, right? Because we all wanna be right. I always wanna be right. Are you kidding me? (laughs) That's that's the argument. That's how arguments are for my family. Like we always just all want to be right. And so we argue with each other about our perspectives or like what's going on. Um, The difference is probably that I have two sisters who've done speech and debate, so I always lose. But (laughs) um, just kind of knowing and putting away your ego and acknowledging, okay, I want to be right. And I'm saying this because of my ego, whereas I need to kind of take a step back 
and acknowledge that I might be wrong and learn from things. Because if you don't take that step back from your own ego, you're stagnating your own learning. And it's, it's gonna really affect your college and your career moving forward. Um, so if you start that your freshman year and you start working on that, it's going to be a lot easier when it's a lot harder. When, when you're in your senior level classes and your male peers say very, very rude things to you, right? Or when you're in a depressive spot because life's hard <laughs> and your code wasn't working and then you find it's a semicolon that you've been stuck on for two weeks, you know? <laughs> like, it's going to be what keeps you alive um, in those moments. So those are some of the three things that I would tell uh, younger females that are particularly freshmen moving towards their college degree. I actually like that. My favorite is advocating yourself. I'm, I'm always trying to be a big proponent for that just because, um, you know, in my past, I've been overlooked or I just been too quiet enough to say anything because I fear about any blowback, you know, like feeling, well, that's a dumb thing to say or just, um, I guess, not being heard because of what level I am at whatever I'm trying to do, you know, but I'm glad that you had the courage to do that. And also the ego thing as well, just, you know, because I know there's some people, you know, who probably, let's say, achieve a lot and then when something hits them and it's the first time they lose or get stuck on something in life and it really derails the whole um i guess work ethic ethic or some other form of just productivity you know right um but yeah i mean uh i mean honestly uh i also did debate as well uh, cross-examination um what else? What's a what's a memorable moment? Um, I think we were talking about. Uh, I think um, what are those things that are in the ocean? They they're they're oil rigs. I think it was. Um, yeah. I think I was on the negative or like the opposite of things. It's just like talking about the environment stuff. And I think I meant I referenced Oprah doing. You know, you get an oil rig, you get an oil rig. And I think uh, for some reason I just did like showmanship, like some kind of like showmanship, just like. I guess theatrics into it but it was weird but yeah when you mentioned CX I mean it's probably tough did you ever actually ever win an argument with your sisters or no um no no but it's it's different right because at some point we have to like even I've learned a little bit through them even though I've never done speech and debate yeah. Of kind of you have to acknowledge the other side as well mm. and that there are points that even when you are against they are completely valid and true uh, even if you may not like them and so kind of having that acknowledgement and those arguments even for yourself when you're playing devil devil's advocate <laughs> of your own yeah of your own 
side of it, you have to create pros and cons of your own side to be able to defend your cons of your perspective from a speech and debate format. So yeah, I, I don't say I would, I've necessarily won any arguments. I would say more or less they've kind of, I, I dissipated them or like I listened to the other side. I brought some of their points to my side and I was like, that's, that's true and valid. And then oftentimes we move on to another argument. <laughs> <laughs> So mm. I, I'm good though, because like I learned so much more from them and I feel like I'm becoming a better person because I don't win. <laughs> oh, that's good. I mean, if even if you don't win, there's always that saying, you know, you learn from it and it really helps, honestly, because, you know, you know where you messed up and now you don't don't do that again because it's you're going to lose or you're going to mess up again. So why do it again? But um, when you mentioned about the programming thing, I, I, I actually have an advice for you for like maybe a little good luck charm. Um, I had a, a classmate of mine say that, you know, you know, when you're programming something in an, in an editor, turn it into dark mode, set it to dark mode, because if it's on light mode, it attracts bugs. Really? Yeah, get it? You know, because the light attracts bugs. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know. It's like it's like. I didn't get it for a second. I got it. So yeah, it was like always have your editor in dark mode so they won't attract any bugs. Yes, I love it. Yeah. And editors are coming out with new dark modes too recently. Oh. So. Oh yeah, uh, I've been just messing around in Visual Studio, but um, oh I know, and Android Studio, but yeah, well, like what kind of editors? do i use um or like yeah that yeah and also like the new uh, dark modes because i was like there's a new dark mode like even more darker or like what kind of a dark mode is that yeah so i i've jumped around to a lot of editors i started in eclipse with c um and the for robotics and then i moved to dr java because they required it for my <laughs> freshman level CS class. Mm. Like, mm, okay. And then I went to IntelliJ for Java. And I tried going back to Eclipse because I was like, I really like Eclipse. But sometimes there's a conflict because I also had Eclipse for C mm. on it. When and, and when you have the different packages for the same program, it often sometimes conflicts. And so I was like, I don't know how to fix this. I'm going to go somewhere else. <laughs> and so I used uh, just terminal. <laughs> as terrible as that sounds, I was just coding in terminal. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have like I would just create files and I didn't have a bug catcher, if you will. I, I yeah. forget for it, but a bug catcher. And so I would have to find my own bugs. Uh, and that was the, the worst terrible time in my life. And then my uh, friend Daniel, he, he knows a little bit more. He put Visual Studios on my computer or Visual Studio on my computer. And he helped me set it up because I'm like, 
I don't know how to use this interface. I'm so daft. Like, what do I do? And so I've kind of been slowly learning Visual Studios, but I still kind of, whenever I have to do something in a file tree or instead of going to like GitHub directly and uploading it there and doing everything through the web base, I very much still go through terminal. <laughs> And like I go to my default of like the safety of what I know. Yeah. So it's certainly interesting. Lately, uh, at during the Google Tech Exchange program, they made us use REPL. So I've mostly been using REPL and Visual Studio Code mm. uh, right now. That's nice. Uh, How is REPL by so far? <sighs> it's good i don't like that you have to pay to keep some of your repositories and stuff private your code private um so i because my code <laughs> during that period of time it isn't the most clean looking code yet like i haven't gone back through it to like make it to make it pretty <laughs> with like proper commenting <laughs> and everything it, it gets the job done it just doesn't it's not proper documentation so having that public kind of scary, mm -hmm. but I also don't actively put my REPL on job applications. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so I kind of like hide it and tuck it away and be like, it's okay, someday you'll come back. Yeah, it's not your day. Not yeah, today. it's not the day, but <laughs> someday, someday. Um, I'll let you know. Yeah, I'll, I'll let you know on that. <laughs> So uh, Catalina, uh, my last question is kind of a modified. I'm gonna modify it a little bit because this is related to the last one I mentioned. But um, okay. So I know you kind of answered this with the programs you're doing with the children, is what I remember, right? Um, yeah. So like, in what sense would you help, um, you know, upcoming female STEM students in you know getting in you know I guess getting immersed into this ever world of STEM, you know, science, technology, engineering, math. And I guess you already are doing that. So I'm going to just like, uh, resend. No, it's a perfectly good question. Okay. No, because like, it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of like a yes or no. Like, are you actually doing something about helping future female STEM students, you know, getting involved in STEM? And if not, how would you do that such a thing? Right. So, um, I'm currently in charge of a program that I founded called Future IT Girls. Hmm. So I have third through fifth grade girls teaching computational thinking through ballroom dance, programming, and research projects. Um, because that's how I learned computer science. I learned control theory through ballroom dancing um, when I didn't know calculus. And I successfully coded it for autonomous on our on my robotics team, which is a huge feat when you don't know the math behind it. Um, and so kind of learning that understanding and then attaching that to the mathematics was, was really beneficial. And so these are topic, computer science are topics that you can teach at a very young age and students will be receptive. It just matters how you teach it, right? 
because each grade level in primary is different. So I teach third through fifth. Fifth graders are at a completely different developmental stage, socially, emotionally, academically, than third graders, right? Mm -hmm. And so they need different things. And so I need to teach them differently as well. And how I, I mitigate having to create three different curriculums and implementing three different curriculums within that one hour is this peer-to-peer -peer mentoring, right? So I kind of place the role of their education on themselves and they have to all ask each other for help until there's like a group of five girls that don't know what they're doing and then they all come to me. Right. Instead of just like, oh, Miss Cat, I need help. Miss Cat, I need help. I'm only one person. <laughs> right. And so I can only help so much. And it helps the students because when you teach someone something, it shows that you've gained mastery over that subject. So it solidifies their understanding. Um, so ultimately it would be to find and understand who you're teaching towards and having them take agency for their own education, not necessarily explicitly, like you also have to, depending on the age group, because I'm working with such young kids, I do have an ethical, moral, and like, job description responsibility for the well-being of these children oh, yeah. uh, which I take very seriously right so I also have to kind of monitor those groups and make sure they're talking about the right things and that they're not hurting each other or being detrimental uh, or anything else for that matter and so it would just be kind of too to work on that mastery. And you can do this at, at, at any level, right? Wrote, for me, I wrote some of my other friends into a study group because I knew I cannot learn by lecture by any means. <laughs> I'm terrible. I can't, I can't do it. That's just not how I learn. So I created a study group and then more people kept coming and then it was half the class and we just, we actually shifted the curve for the final of this class in college. And so it's, it's effective because not only did I master the content, but everyone else did. And I learned and everyone else learned, right? And so it's kind of like, you can't just bring yourself up to higher management, to CEO level, right? You have to bring everyone else with you or else you're not going to be able to su succeed because not everyone else will be able to be at that level as well. And if no one understands what you're talking about, you're gonna be very lonely talking to yourself in a mirror. Mm. And so it's through that peer-to-peer, -peer, it's through that teaching each other that 
you can affect change. And it doesn't have to be like, oh, I'm going to do this for this purpose, right? It's fun. Sometimes we like go out to eat and make it like a social thing and teach each other and ask each other questions because it's easier to ask your peers than it is your professor because there's a different power dynamic. Hmm. And so it would be to ask your peers and to look for friends. Friends really are the best structure um, to survive a STEM degree, to succeed, to support. And it's because when you have a culture of success and of support around you, that's going to manifest in your life. If you have people that always bring you down, it's a lot harder to go wherever you want to go, do whatever you want to do, feel supported when you're struggling, to be able to make that leap to the next thing. And unfortunately for me, I haven't found that in college. Hmm. I've only found one or two people that maybe I've had in my life that are my age, mind you, <laughs> yeah. that, are, that are my own age, because I tend to be the youngest one in the group, um, in that do have that, that support and that structure and fundamentally truly care, right? Instead of being jealous and putting me down, right? Yeah. And so it's been kind of a struggle to find that support, but I've always had to, which is where the advocacy helps. <laughs> the advocating for support and being like, I know NMSU has tutoring. Where is that? What is that? Let me see. <laughs> right. And like roping other people into things and being like, hey, let's do a study group with like the professor or whatever. And like the day before, like what you were talking about, your study group, we actually did that. The day before the exam, every single time we have an exam, there would be a window of four to five hours where this group was just working and we would go through the entire content of the class and we would teach each other and it worked, it worked. And it got to a point as well where we couldn't all fit within like the six person library study room. So we took over a classroom. Cool. Because while, while the institution owns that classroom, we pay tuition to use it. <laughs> so that's our space that we get to use. And yes, you have to get permission because like it is a building and like, <laughs> We don't directly own it <laughs> and like all this stuff, but you have more power and agency in your education than you think you do. And people will, that's the other thing. People will tell you no all the time. But there's always gonna be a person that says yes. And what I like to say to no is watch me. Ooh. 
because while you may say no and may, while you may not have done it, I can do it. <laughs> that was actually pretty good. Not gonna lie, that's a good speech. I mean, when someone, I mean, for me, when someone says no, I just say the quote from The Office when Michael says, you don't know how high I can fly. That's about it. But yours was like pretty good. I mean, um, I'm speechless. <laughs> well, it wasn't intentional. It's just how I how I run my life, you know. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I like it when my guests are passionate about you know certain things. I mean, that's why I brought you here for this particular episode. But even though it wasn't too much about what it is on the topic, it still somewhat connects to it. And still can be something uh, of a of a lesson of something that can be taught universally to a lot of people, you know. Right, and it's it's interesting to bringing it back to women in in STEM mm -hmm. because a lot of this directly relates, like how we teach education, how women are societally seen in Hispanic spaces, right? We're like not told to really ask questions. We're not told to take up space. And when we do, we're bossy, right? Or we're overstepping our bounds. And so I feel like a lot of what I've talked about today is very much something that's very avant-garde for women especially in my Hispanic area and my Hispanic upbringing that is kind of being fought against. Mm -hmm. And so while it's not explicitly stating, oh, this is what you need to do as a woman in STEM, it directly relates. Because you, you see the success, you see the differences, and who's in the room and who's not. And like there's there's actual research papers to back these things up, right? Like I'm not just coming here on here and like saying all this stuff for like good sound bites or whatever. Yeah. I'm saying this stuff because there's research on it. There's more effort that you have to put in because of the societal structures that don't want to even acknowledge your existence. And so while it hasn't really been explicitly stated in this interview, it's very much directly relates. Because if we're going to succeed and create equitable, substantial change, we have to take up space. We have to know our worth. Women only, if they don't meet 100% of the requirements of a job description, they typically don't apply. While male counterparts only look at 60%. If they meet 60% of the qualifications, they apply. And it's because women don't know their worth, right? That and qualifications on job descriptions are very highly inflated and like absolutely ridiculous. There's a job description that I saw for machine learning for a specific language, mind you, I forget what it was. Mm -hmm. I think it was for TensorFlow. They're like, 
you need 15 years experience in TensorFlow. TensorFlow hasn't been alive for 15 years. <laughs> like it's absolutely ridiculous, right? Yeah. Yeah. With new technologies sprouting up so often and so fast, job descriptions are kind of BS <laughs> yeah. on some levels, on some levels. Like you need to at least have like minimal qualifications. And if you don't have the minimal qualifications, you still need to showcase that you are able to learn. Mm-hmm. Because I know one language really well in computer science. But computer science is the fundamentals and you're just gonna be associating those fundamentals to a different language. That's what computer science is. You don't have to know the language to be able to do the job that you need to do because you can learn the language easily. You just need to know the underlying underlying building blocks and data structures and algorithms to be able to apply it. So when you see women not getting as many opportunities and not being in these spaces, it directly relates. Oh, yeah. Um, well said. I mean, honestly, um, yeah, I just like how you connected the two things and just, I guess, described it as, uh, I don't know what's the word, but just, um, I guess, what it is or just how it, how it's just one thing leads to the other is what I'm trying to say, I guess. The but, world you know, is interconnected. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Also, yeah, the, the, I don't like, I, I've seen those job descriptions on LinkedIn about those that require 20 plus years in this thing, but it's just like an entry level kind of thing. And I'm like, I'm like, how? But, but those are like, those are on companies that probably just are looking for, I guess, the best of something, but they're just what they do as a business is not tech heavy focus. Like like I mentioned in my first episode that a lot of companies want to be a tech company in some aspect. So I was like, so I was like, okay, I get what you're trying to be innovative in, in whatever you're trying to sell, but you're kind of asking a lot and also kind of being a bit more um what's the word? Um I guess not as compensating. Yeah, I mean it's a bit exaggerating. I mean it's not as it's not as, like as much as you think you need like someone who has 20 years in this like in a language that's not even five years old per se let's say but yeah i mean still i mean your perspective catalina about the topic of the episode still matters it's why i brought you here it's you know why i bring my guests is because they've had experiences they are studying these things they are learning they are they know about these things more than I do. I just, I research them. I research this stuff online, but so can anyone, but hearing it from someone who's lived through it is a whole nother different kind of information. Right. But yeah. I agree. But yeah, I mean, Catalina, um, uh, what I was about to say, uh, thank you so much for coming for today's episode. Um, I was about to say, um, Oh, I kind of had a brain fart, but um, thank you for coming. And uh, I had a, actually, I'll be honest, this is an interesting conversation. 
most of them is pretty uh most of my interviews were kind of um i guess linear but we kind of expanded on a lot of things and i kind of like that so thank you for sharing your information about certain topics i actually greatly appreciate that well thank you so much for having me this is something that i i really wanted to do when you originally brought it to me because i i don't know I, I want to be loud. I want to take up space. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I've learned a lot and I've made a lot of mistakes to be able to learn a lot. And I, I want to share that information to as many people as possible. Again, for the purpose, and I say this a lot, but for yeah. equitable and substantial change to see oh. more people like me, more women, more Latinas. Yeah, I mean, that's the purpose of this show, you know, just to, I guess, teach it, uh, I guess, give a little bit of, of a lesson to some people who are currently studying in STEM or currently studying in CS, kind of we base it off of what our CS programs are at the University of Houston downtown, just so they know some things before they graduate, you know, some things that would be very useful, but this can be still applied for everybody. I mean, I have... Um, I mean, I'm working on an episode about interviews and that can be applied to every college student or even people outside of college. So yeah, just, you know, just trying to like, I guess, make it more diverse in the sense of information that can be, I guess, utilized in an, in, in an easy way. You know, podcasts, you just play them as you're hitting to work or on the way to from work. You know, it's in the background, but you still obtain the information in, in a sense is what I'm trying to say. But yeah, exactly. But yeah, um, thank you so much, Catalina, for coming on the show. Um, good luck with. Uh, actually, I, I'm interested. How have you been handling your program virtually online? <laughs> oh, I, 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 when you mentioned that, I was like, well, a lot of teaching has been online. So I mean, like, how has she been handling with Miss Catalina here on? I don't know where you do it, but let's say on Zoom, everybody's right. like raising their hands and stuff. But how have you been handling teaching online? So it's it's been kind of interesting. I've had to fundamentally change my curriculum as well because mm -hmm. teaching online is substantially different than teaching in person. Mm -hmm. And with the age groups that I'm teaching, you want to limit the amount of time that they're on technology which sounds counterintuitive because it's a technology course, right? Yeah. would think that I want them to be on technology, but the more that young people are on technology, it's actually detrimental to their mental health. And if you give a toddler an iPad, you're fundamentally rewiring their brain to want instant gratification. Right. And so if you don't get that instant gratification in like five seconds, right, like, and you have that high of a bar to get something that you want, everything else is going to pale in comparison. And so you kind of have to balance the acknowledgement of where your students are at developmentally and promoting good technological, uh, I don't know how you say that, technological literacy i wouldn't say literacy responsibility okay. there we go responsibility 
Um, so what I'm doing is while we are going to be online through Zoom, hmm. I uh, changed my curriculum to more movement, more dance. We're working with robotics. So they're going to be up and moving around and trying to get the robot to do things, right? And I'm teaching the core concepts through those tools instead of the tools I would normally use in a classroom setting. And so it's just kind of different. And I've also changed the age groups from typically third through fourth grade, or third through fifth grade to fourth and fifth grade. Because I had to do the curriculum change on short time notice. And the girls aren't able to as easily access each other for peer-to-peer -peer learning. Um, I won't be able to help everyone to give a quality course or content if the baseline of the student is no computer science knowledge, no coding or anything, or in third grade, because that's in, in my district, they teach computer science. They're starting to teach computer science in elementary. And so it's harder to go towards those different age levels and to those different needs developmentally uh, in an online format where it's just kind of me and the girls aren't able to access each other as a resource. So it's certainly different. It's certainly interesting to say the least. I don't necessarily like it. I believe that there will always be a place for an in-person classroom um, because there's so much more social development that they also do in, in a physical classroom that you can't get online. Um, but it, it's going well and we'll, we'll see. It's unfortunately the last year of the program because my funding source changed. So they changed what Aspire IT does. And so I will not be getting a grant through them. And so I'm currently looking through for like other financial resources. And I'm potentially thinking in the near future to turn it into a 501c3, which is a nonprofit, by the way. <laughs> A 501c3 is a nonprofit in the United States. And a 501c4 is a nonprofit that can lobby for law and bills. So, like companies like the oil companies are known for like lobbying for like pro oil incentives through the law and different stuff like that. Mm -hmm. 501c3s can't do that. 501c4s can. Mm -hmm. So it's, we're going to try to turn it first into a 501c3, possibly 501c4 10, 15 years from now. But I kind of just have to keep the program alive and see what funding resources I can use. Uh, before I can go to like a startup accelerator or something like that. Okay. Okay. I mean, you got a plan. That's good. Um, 
also I learned something about uh, lobbying, so that's nice. It's plus, yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's great to see that you're still continuing with uh, the program, helping, you know, the kids online. I know that, I know that must have been a struggle, and same can be said for other teachers as well. But you seem to be handling pretty good. Uh, but yeah, um, I wish you the best of luck in what's for anything that's going to happen to the program. But yeah. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah, uh, Catalina, thank you for coming on the show. It was a wonderful experience. Uh, have a good day. Thank you. Have a good day.